Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. As always, I'm Charles, and I'm joined by my good friend, Joe. Hey there, Charles. Joe, another wild one. I think a a particular theme that we were certainly picking up on whilst we were watching the games last week were, well, I suppose what you would call fall from graces, perhaps. Players that were very well respected, very well regarded, if not last season, certainly the season before and seasons prior, been offered big contracts and then have sort of gone missing. And I think if you were going to pick a game that we could focus on a couple of players for that, uh, there's no better game than Broncos Chargers. Yep. And that game had a player in who, like you say, big contract, has made the Pro Bowl, you know, last few seasons, uh, came in with a lot of fanfare and just has not been living up to expectations this season. You know who I'm going to be talking about, don't you? (laughs) Puts out our misery, Joe. Who are we going to be talking about? JC Jack. Surprise! Surprise. So last season on the pod, we talked up JC Jackson a few times. I mean, when you had Diggs getting all the attention for the interceptions that he was doing, JC Jackson was the true probably best cornerback across the league last season. Plenty of interceptions, plenty of lockdowns, plenty of passes defended. He was doing it all. He looked great for the Patriots. And then he left. So he signed a five-year, 82.5 million contract with 40 million guaranteed for the Chargers this season. And he's been guff, man. He has been poor. Yeah, well, talk us through some of his stats then. What What is it about his performance recently that you feel has shone a light on how badly he's playing at the moment? Well, we'll give it the mitigating circumstances to start with. He's he struggled with injuries a little bit. He's not been 100%. He's only played three games this season. So there's that side of things to think about. But let's just look at the game on Sunday. He only played half a game because he got pulled and benched at half-time. But busted coverage, 39-yard touchdown pass to tight end Greg Dolchik. That's bad enough. And then on the final drive before halftime, Jackson got beat again. KJ Hamler, 47-yard catch, busted big play. 86 yards on two catches and a TD. Uh, he didn't come out for the second half. In three games this year, JC Jackson has only made 13 tackles combined, 10 solo free assists, and one pass deflected. This isn't what the Chargers thought they were getting. Now, the reason for it, the reason for it is very simple. Last season, he was man-to-man. He was man-to-man, and man-to-man, he was shutting opposing wide receivers down. This year, he's having to fit into the Chargers' zone scheme, and it's just not working for him. It's just not working at all, Giles. So that actually brings me to to one of the questions that I was going to ask about this, which is when an offensive player switches to another team, there's an element of, do you know what? It's a totally new uh, playbook. It's a whole new system they have to learn. And there's a little bit of leeway that's afforded to a new offensive player, to a new team. Is the same thing relevant for defensive players and in particular cornerbacks do they need to adapt to something new? Or or is there an element of, do you know what, that's a position that if you can play it, you should be playing it? Now, obviously, you've pointed out there's a, there's a stark difference between man and zone coverage. But beyond that, are there other factors that maybe we need to allow for? That's a really, really good question, Charles. And there's a couple of things that it boils down to. You're right that when offensive players go to a new team, there's that kind of embedding process to learn the playbook. But if a wide receiver runs the wrong route, 
at the absolute worst, what he's going to work, give away is maybe an interception at the absolute worst. If you're a cornerback and you blow coverage, you've just given away a touchdown. The stakes are slightly different and you're more exposed when you're a defensive player in you know, in that big field, in all that space, giving up plays. And that's what we're seeing from JC Jackson right now. There's plenty of players who've shifted teams and haven't quite got embedded in right yet. But when you're playing zone and when the coverage is busted, eyes are on you and it's a lot more obvious. In terms of being able to play the position, there's different skills from playing man-to-man and through playing zone. Zone, you have to read the game a lot more. You have to be attuned into the mindset of a defensive coach, basically, to read that game, read the routes that the wide receivers, tight ends, receivers are running, and being able to anticipate and know where you should be on the field and know which players you should be picking up. Man-to-man is probably more athletically demanding it needs you to have the speed to stay with players the reflexes to catch up with all the moves that they do it needs all those things but you can probably take man to man and as long as you're the athlete you can probably get away with just using your athleticism for a lot of it playing zone you've got to think a lot more you've got to be more in tune with the defense you've got to know where you fit on that team and at the minute jc jackson just doesn't yeah and i suppose in that respect as well it could be argued that the Chargers have struggled for a few seasons now with their defense and that defense clicking. You know, sometimes it comes together and they look decent. Other times they get absolutely shredded. Do you think there's an element of coaching here at play in which maybe these players aren't getting the best feed through from their defensive coach? There's always a balance, a balance between playing the scheme that you want to play, but playing with the plays you've got. And if you don't have the players who can play the way that you want, you have to be able to adapt or you have to get rid of those players. They chose to bring JC Jackson in. They should be making the most of his talents. And as you pointed out, Joe, they chose to bring him in on a five-year, $82.5 million contract with $40 million of that guaranteed. So That's a lot of beans. That seems like a really bold move for somebody that you're going to bring in, that you're asking them to play in a completely different way. Someone who you know is a man coverage guy or a proven man coverage guy, you're paying a lot of money on the assumption that they can quickly transition to a totally different style of defense. It, yeah, and he's got to pick it up. Look, like I said, there's, there's a little bit of mitigating circumstances where he's been injured. He's probably been struggling in practice. He's probably not got as embedded as he should have done. Give him time. I, he was extremely good last year. It's not like he, he played well, had a down season, and we've got a downward trajectory here. He was one of the best cornerbacks in the league last season. I'm not writing off JC Jackson right now, but there's a lot of talk about players who aren't living up to contracts. I don't think you can have that conversation without talking about JC Jackson. Yeah. Okay, so now we've pulled the old switcheroo, Joe. Should we talk about... The old switcheroo. <laughs> Should we talk about the player that probably most people assume we, we should have been talking about, and that's Russ Wilson. Dangerous. That's Russ Wilson. Dangerous, a danger to the Broncos, a danger to their long-term prospects to win anything. I mean, where to start with this one, Charles? Why don't you go ahead? What do you think about Russ Wilson's start to this season so far? <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, because I did a little bit of what I just did there with JC Jackson. I was I was looking for the reasons and for the excuses to begin with, you know, and, and the first one was, well, it's a different offense. He needs to learn it. He's playing with players that he hasn't played before. Let's give him time. But then we spoke 
in previous episodes this season about his decline with the Seahawks over the last year or two. Maybe the fact that really it was just kind of Metcalf et al that the long deep plays made him look better than he was. He wasn't going through his reads properly. Some of these really basic stuff that's exposing him a bit here. I can't explain why this is happening. But I think the more I look for excuses, the more I I do kind of keep coming back to Russ. And and it looks to me, yeah, you know what? Okay, maybe the O-line hasn't been doing him the best of favours, but then... Nonsense, nonsense. And and I'm glad you talked about the O-line there, Charles, because I was going to go through the excuses with you. So let's start with that excuse. O-line. You know I hate PFF, but let's use them directionally. How do you think the Denver Broncos O-line ranks this year? PFF rankings. I see. I I would have said, I would have said somewhere around 16. Fifth. What? Fifth. They're ranked the fifth best O-line in the league by PFF. Now, don't get me wrong. PFF, a lot of time is nonsense, but directionally, you can use it. So directionally, it's a good O-line he's got in front of him. If he's eating sacks, if he's having those problems, the problem is Russ Wilson holding the ball not using his O-line properly, not going through his reads. So that excuse, put that to bed. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's where I landed. Certainly this week when I watched the game in a bit more detail, he's hanging on to the ball way too long, way too long. Receivers. Yeah, I mean, but you see, the thing is, he's got good receivers. Yes, people are saying, oh, do you know what? They're they're dropping things. And if some of those drops turn into catches, he'll start looking a lot better than he does. But... I'm not sure I totally buy that, if I'm honest. There's always these memes that come out after Russell Wilson games. Uh, It it seems there's a weekly one where they talk about how blind Russell Wilson is. Go and look at how open Jerry Judy was in the middle of a field about 10 yards in front of Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson didn't see him. It's all well and good blaming receivers for dropping passes, but when they're literally wide open, when the coverage is blown, you can't blame the receivers. It's squarely at your door as a quarterback that highlights that choice and decision making is actually an element that is is proving to be really detrimental to Russell Wilson at the moment and I think if you look back to his latter season at the Seahawks there may be some of the the things that papered over the cracks a little bit because he had those deep threats he was just launching balls to and you know it was coming off quite regularly he looked better than he was but a lot of those hero plays that he made weren't the smartest moves to be making yeah and so we've gone through that and then just to cap things off I think the thing that has to hurt for Denver fans the most is that he's wasting good defense and wasting good defense I think is is one of the biggest crimes that a quarterback can do. Quarterbacks can moan and whinge when they don't have a defense so that they're you know, having to score all, all these points and pull out all the stops to try and save games. But Denver defense is very good. They've given up, I think, the fifth fewest points in the league, allow the fifth fewest yards, something like that. It could even be third or fourth. It's low numbers. The Denver Broncos defense is a top five defense. If they had a semi-serviceable quarterback, an average quarterback, you'd expect this team to have at least four wins but they don't. And Russell Wilson is wasting a good defense. He's wasting a potentially championship defense right now. Yeah. And look, you know, we've already spoken that this puts the Broncos in a very 
strange and weird uh, position to be in. They're really lumped with Wilson for the foreseeable future. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, with the potential that he could lose the locker room if he doesn't improve his performances. We saw already Hamler from a previous week. Now you've got Jerry Judy wide open, not getting the the receptions that he deserves. They look in a terrible position and they've given away so many picks for Russ Wilson. This is what kind of what I wanted to touch on here. Let's talk about what they've given away here and just go through. So they traded away two first round picks, two second round picks, the first and second this year, first and second next year. They traded away three players. Now, Two of those players are starting players right now. You go through that list of players that they traded away. They traded away Noah Fant, tight end. He's starting at Seattle right now. They traded away Shelby Harris, who again is starting for the Seahawks right now, looking good. With that first round pick that the Seahawks had this year, they picked up Charles Croft. That was a ninth pick. With a ninth overall pick, you can pick up basically a stud in any position that you want. They picked up Charles Cross, offensive tackle, and he's been playing pretty well. I think he's... His PFF grade, again, I hate PFF, but just directionally, it's something like mid-60s. He's playing decent. So right there, you've got a lineman, you've got a tight end, you've got a defensive tackle. You've got a first-round pick next year. You've got Russ off the books. Seattle have come out of this so well. This will probably go down as one of the worst trades of the last 10 years, at the very least, if they had just done that. But then to make things worse, Charles, to make things worse... Wilson had two years left on his contract. Now, I know players want certainty, they want to be locked in for longer, but two years is enough time to work something out once the season starts. Before Wilson had even played a snap, they extended him for five years. Five years, was it 245 million, 140, 50 of which is guaranteed? He's guaranteed for the next three years. And I think his cap hit in 2024 is something like 39, 40 million. Wow. They've mortgaged, they've mortgaged the next few years. They are, they are absolutely used the word lumped. They are lumped with him. Wilson, the way he's playing, cannot be traded away. That is just not going to happen. No team is going to want to pick him up. I don't know. Maybe Frank Reich, who thinks that he can save every quarterback, would, would pick him up. But aside from that, they're locked with him. And with a championship defense, it's almost like they've just closed a window on it if this is how Russ Wilson is playing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned how well the Seahawks have done off the back of this. And I'm almost flabbergasted by that because when all these rumblings were coming out that Russ wanted out, I was looking at the situation and I thought, oh man, the Seahawks have their back against a wall here. They're in a really awkward situation. You know, their their quarterback is essentially actively revolting. They're going to really struggle to get good value for him. And look at what they've come away with. Yeah, and you're going to get this in one. Which quarterback has the third highest uh, rating in the league right now? (laughs) Does he play for the Seahawks? I'll give you a clue, Charles. He doesn't write back. (laughs) Gino, baby. Yeah, it's mad how bad this trade looks right now. uh, We've touched all the bases there, but I mean, it's a long way back and there's a, a lot of expectation is building right now and there's no way out. This could get really, really messy as the weeks and years go on. So just before we move on from this, you know, you mentioned that they extended his deal before he'd even played a snap. I'm not saying now, I'm not saying it's an immediate thing because I think you've got to let these things play out a bit. But let's say end of the season, 
Russell Wilson hasn't improved at all. Do you think George Patton loses his job? If not end of this season, maybe next season, if Russell Wilson is still as bad as he is at the moment? Yeah, I think he does. When you look at the defense they have there, you look at those players, you look at how well they're playing, how they're keeping decent teams down to low scores, and you think if they just had an average quarterback, they'd be in the playoffs and they'd be mixing it up. And they don't have any chance really of building up and building around that. Their forecast for a top five pick, if they had a pick, but they don't, I think that is worthy of a front office sacking. And so George Patton may go. Hmm. There's a lot of football left to be played. We always say it. It's, we're only six weeks in. This is a five-year contract. Let's not forget. There's time to turn this around. But we can only look at what we've got in front of us. And there aren't many redeeming factors to Russell Wilson's play right now. Let's move on then to what is weirdly starting to become almost uh, a bit of a segment to the podcast now. Let's talk about upsets because there is always one or two every week. And this week... <laughs> it was Charles. <laughs> well, this this week, you've got to take a look at the New York teams again. They are continuing to impress. Are the Jets legit? That's a good question. That was a long pause, wasn't it? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I, listen, can, can I sit on the fence? Because <laughs> what I want to say is, I think... The Jets are a team that can compete week in, week out now, which is is not something that we've been able to say about the Jets for probably about 15 years or so. Um, I think they can compete. I think they are defensively really impressive. I think at the moment their schedule is such that I'd like to see how they compete against some of the really top, top teams. You'll notice that I'm not including us within that anymore, Joe. (laughs) I think they're a good team. I think they're a good competitive contending team. I don't think they're legit. I don't think they're risking playoffs yet. Are they a 4-2 and team, though? There's teams that are 4-2 and that maybe don't deserve to be 4-2. and There's teams that are 5-1 and that you turn around and say they're extremely lucky to be 5-1. and Are they a 4-2 and team? Yeah, do you know what? I think that their record is is a fair reflection of how they've been playing this season. Listen, we've big, yeah, we've bigged up Sauce a lot on this show. Like, he is a phenomenal defensive talent. He's really just... He's a play sheet podcast darling this yeah, year. Really. He is, like, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> every week we've got to talk about how much we love Sauce. That is so true. Yeah, absolutely. Except this week. <laughs> but yeah, no, he was, uh, he, he's been great. I think... I think the nice thing to see about the Jets as well, though, is, and again, it's in stark contrast to what I'm seeing at Green Bay, I'm loving the play calling. They know what their strengths are, and they're actually building the game around that. You know, in the fourth quarter, they did not throw a single pass. Not one. But why why do they have to, Joe? They know where their strengths are. They know where Green Bay's weaknesses are. And they played to those strengths and weaknesses and they came away with the victory and they deserve it for excellent play calling for really well structured plays and they're seeing the fruits of their labor from that I couldn't agree with you more charles and so you managed to talk about the jets green bay game by just talking about the jets which was <laughs> a nice fade there charles but, uh, but not gonna get past me like that talk to me about green bay what do you think is it as bad as we were making out last week what's going on with this team yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I was on the old UK fan site, as I like to do from time to time. They're all um, 
running around going, be calm, it's fine, it's it's not as bad as it looks. I, I don't agree, I'm afraid. I think it is as bad as it looks. I think this is the start of the end for Green Bay. Uh, look, I'm going to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, but I, I think there are too many problems here, and I'm going to list them off, but... I feel like year after year, Joe, certainly for the last three, we've talked about the errors that the special teams make. And if there was a perfect game to witness that, it was this game. Special teams. errors, yeah. Oh, dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. I mean, special teams cost us a lot of points from that game. So This is like Chad's, Chad's Green Bay bingo uh, yeah. right now. You've said... <laughs> special teams. You're going to talk about run defense next, aren't you? Do you know what? I actually wasn't. Aside from that, and something that I've never spoken about before, but we spoke about last week, the offensive line, it is not there. And I think Green Bay have relied so much on that solid wall of an offensive line that now that it doesn't exist, it's absolute panic stations. And and this brings me to my third point, which I spoke about in a bit of detail last week, but that's play calling. And, and it's the inflexibility of the play calling. And I think that Matt LaFleur's playbook is based around Aaron Rodgers having enough time to make the plays that they want him to make. And now that he doesn't have that time because that offensive line doesn't really exist, we're not adapting to allow for that we're just hoping that it will suddenly form again overnight and I think we need to start bringing in plays that are going to relieve some of that pressure because we can't continue to keep playing the way that we've played over the last three years and pretend that that's not an issue for us so let's wrap up this doom and gloom quickly NFC North, Green Bay are three games behind the Vikings. I love saying that. Three games behind the Vikings, six <laughs> games played. Do Green Bay make the playoffs, yes or no, to finish on? I'm going to say no. Okay, you heard it here first. Let's move on, Charles. I won't keep your pity parade going any longer. Next game to talk about. Why don't we talk about the biggest bottlers in the league this season? Yeah, Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> yeah, they make me feel a little bit better about being a Green Bay fan because I just don't know how you couldn't be more frustrated as a fan base than if you're a Ravens fan. I mean, week two, 28-7 up against the Dolphins. They lost that 42-38. Now, you can make excuses or you can say, look, it's a one-off. They were playing in Miami. Things happen. Things happen. So that first game, you say, hey, let's not worry about it. What happened in week four, Charles? Well, they lost to the Bills, didn't they, when they were 23 up. Now, you see, again, you'd look at that and you say, well, it's the Bills. Okay, you know, they're one of the best teams out there at the moment. But you're you 23 can make excuses. up. That's a big lead. And so then this week, they're 2010 up against the Giants going into the fourth quarter. Now, surely you think well, the Giants shouldn't I, be 4-1. and one. I don't know, Joe. Yeah, that... the overrated 4-1 and one team, blah, 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 blah. 20-10 up at halftime feels mighty familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was 20-10 up near the end of the third quarter. They lose That's that game 24-20. And so we're seeing patterns here. Now, have the Baltimore Ravens become the Atlanta Falcons? Oh, man. Bird teams switching places. Bird teams switching places. 
I'm going to try and mitigate this, Charles. I'm going to try and come up for a reason with it. And bear with me on this one. We talk about injuries being a factor you have to deal with in the National Football League. And that is absolutely true. There's an attrition rate of 100%. Everyone gets hurt at some point. Unless you're, I don't know, who is a Ironman? Phil Rivers, who played for a million games all in a row. But generally, you're going to get injured. Injuries happen. It's something you have to deal with. Some teams, though, have the bad end of a stick. And some teams have injuries far more than others. A few years ago, it was the 49ers. Remember that season when the 49ers basically lost every starting player on both sides of a ball? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what looked like a kind of promising start was over by about week three. Like, I think they all like basically got ACLs on the bad turf at uh, the Giant Stadium. But there's a new little rating that Fox have, which I've just been curiously paying attention to. It's called the BUS score, which um, stands for Banged Up Score. And it basically puts a rating on each team based on how many players they've got out. And a high score out of 100 basically means that all your starters and backups are fit. A low score means you've got a lot of starters out. The Ravens have one of the worst banged up scores right now, meaning they have the most one of the most injured rosters in the league. We're seeing the Ravens lose games in the last quarter. Now, I'm proposing and questioning, is that because their defensive players are on the field for too long? They're not getting to rotate their players. They're not getting to give those players a break. By the time the fourth quarter comes around, they're gassed. And that's why they're giving away these big leads. It's a theory I'm proposing, Charles. And, and I don't think it's an, you know, it's a crazy theory. The one thing I would say, though, is if that is the case, why is that the case? Because they've still got a great run room there. They've still got Lamar Jackson. And why, when they are 23 up or 28-7 up, can they not manage the game offensively to keep the defense off the field? And, and that's a fair challenge. But it's on both sides of a ball as well. As you go through that game, your O-line is starting to degrade. These are big lads. They like to rotate in and out. As an O-line, unless you're someone like Bakhtiari or someone like that, you're not playing 100% of snaps. You're playing somewhere around 80% of snaps. One out of five, you're sitting on the bench. You're taking a breather. They're not getting to do that. They're having to stay on the field for longer. So you're just not as efficient on any side of the ball as the game goes through. Now, I'm not saying that's the only reason. I agree that they should be probably coaching, which is making them keep the ball for longer, keeping the ball in players' hands, and just getting first downs, cranking through the quarter. Not disagreeing. But I'm just curious, as the season goes on and some of these injured players start to come back, because they're not all on IR, they're not all on season-enders, there's players who will come back. When that locker room gets a little bit healthier, are we going to see the Ravens start to hold on to these leads? And, you know, had the Ravens held on to these leads... I think they'd be, would it be a 6-0 team? They'd basically be a 6-0 team. Like, they've yeah. lost three games, and those three games were the three games they blew. They'd be a 6-0 team having beaten the Bills, had they held on. And everyone would be talking about the Ravens in a four-way conversation right now between the Bills, Chiefs, Ravens, and Eagles. That's where they would be if they just held on in these games. As these players come back, will the Ravens hold on to games, or will they start to be actually a very good football team that threatens a deep run in playoffs? Well, it's an interesting one to watch. You posed the question to me about the Jets, Joe. Obviously, we've spoken a lot about the Ravens there. Is there anything there in which we say, actually, do you know what? Hats off to the Giants. They pulled out a comeback win against Green Bay last week. They pulled out a comeback win against the Ravens this week. Are the Giants legit, Joe? 
That's a tough question. I'm not going to slander the Giants. I I think there's a lot of people who have been very unfair to a team that are 5-1. and one. I mean, they've, they've not done it the sexy way. They haven't done it with, you know, many standout players, except for everyone likes Barkley. People like him on fantasy. People talk about Barkley. They've not done it that way. They've played good football. They've executed when it's mattered. And they've stayed in games. And they've won five games this year. More than they won last season. Are they legit? What I'd throw back is, the NFC isn't particularly strong this year. Take out the Eagles. And I mean, where are your standout NFC teams? Just go through the divisions really quickly. NFC North, Vikings are 5-1, and one, but I can pick out a lot of flaws with that Vikings team. And Green Bay, we've already talked about. Go to the West, the Rams have not been firing on all cylinders. The Seahawks are fun and exciting to watch, but they're, you know, they're not a great team. Cardinals, no. 49ers, yeah, the 49ers are okay, but they're still not winning as many games as they perhaps should. And then go south, Saints aren't anything special. Bucks are not living up to the hype as we expected. And then Panthers are a car crash and the Falcons are a bit like the Seahawks. We're a fun team to watch, but we're not going to win many. There's not an awful lot of teams in the NFC vying for that top spot. So why not for the Giants? You could feasibly see a situation where... The Giants have home team advantage for the first playoff game. First playoff game they've had for a long time. They get through that wildcard round. Anything can happen in the last four, mate. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm not going to say they're legit. I think legit is a strong phrase. But I think that they are better than they're being given credit for. And I think that they could certainly make a playoff run. Yeah, I, I do. I think I think they'll find themselves in the playoffs. But it's a really interesting picture you paint there of the conference because it is, it is less than appealing, isn't it? We spoke in, I think, the first show this year and mentioned how we felt that the Bucks were overrated. I think that's definitely coming through now. They're overrated. They're probably still a little bit better than the Saints, probably. But that's, but that's that conference. That conference will not be going deep in playoffs. The NFC West, which was hyped for so many years, it's starting to come down for a lot of teams there. They're just not performing at all. It doesn't leave many teams at all, Jazz. Let's not labour it, but there's not many teams to kind of talk about there. This isn't giving us a lot of time to talk about the last game. We've been talking about so many other things this week, but it would be a miss of us to not talk about Chiefs versus Bills. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. It was, well, it was everything that I think fans expected it would be it was a nice offensive game good bits of defense from time to time two teams battling it out to the bitter end uh it was fantastic to see thank god for sunday night football <laughs> yeah. after Thursday night football eh? so true now with we're running out of time but, uh, it's just a couple of things i want to chat about really quickly first of all I think most people would be in agreement that these two teams right now are the marquee teams in the AFC. Marquee teams perhaps in the league, uh, depending on your view, on the Eagles. Had a great game. They're actually very similar in terms of points scored this season right now. The Chiefs have scored 179 points. The Bills have scored 176 points. There's a big difference in the amount of points they've given up, though. Chiefs have given up 149 points. They've been in a lot of close games. The Bills only 76 is this going to be a factor down the straight, Charles? Do you think that the Chiefs' defence has what it takes to mix with the Bills when it comes to playoffs? Great question. I think that defensively, the Bills are a better team. And I say that with some level of confidence. Obviously, the stats support that. 
however, I think when it comes down to that one game that they play on the day, I think we're likely to see a game very similar to this. I think it will be two teams that push each other to the absolute limit. We remember what happened last season, came down to the coin toss of overtime and Mahomes went and stuck it in the end zone straight away we could see the same thing or something very similar again. These are two elite teams that play excellent football. And even though the Bills are defensively better, potentially season long, I think when it comes down to the day, you'll just see two teams going really close, to be honest with you. Right now, it would be surprising if we're not seeing them play against each other in the AFC game deep into January. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Fine. We don't need to harp on about how good it was. Just one thing I want to finish though, Charles. Last point on the pod tonight. Did you see about Jordan Poyer? <laughs> yes. So uh, for listeners who aren't aware, Jordan Poyer basically had injured ribs. Not injured enough that he couldn't play, but injured enough that he couldn't fly. Do the maths there. Basically, he wasn't allowed to fly, so he had to drive 973 miles on a 15-hour trip to play. Made four tackles. I think that's. I think that's what a good teammate is really, isn't it? It's such an insane story. When I heard it, I couldn't believe it because in my head I'm going, well, why can't he fly? The air pressure? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure some of those big lads hit a lot harder than the air pressure on an aeroplane. What is happening that the man can do a full contact sport, yet he cannot fly? Airline safety, mate. Airline safety. Yeah. But yep. But uh, congratulations, Jordan Poyer. I think there's definitely some kind of award for that this week. There has to be. Jazz, it's been super good fun. I look forward to speaking to you next week, man. Speak next week, Joe.